So good to be with you this morning. Uh, but I, I don't know, am I the only one missing winter? Are, are, are you noticing we're not having much winter? I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I love that I'm not shoveling my driveway. Uh, but I'm not so sure it's good for us to not have some snow on the ground. So uh, I, I don't think it would be a bad thing for us to be praying for a little bit of snow to fall here in the Klamath Basin as well as around us. Anyway, uh, title of this morning's sermon, Living with the Hope of Heaven. Uh, this last year, I, we all know, has been a pretty challenging year. Uh, and, and as a result, it, it, it's reminded me a lot uh, to think of our hope in heaven. So I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. If you walk out of here with a little clearer picture or glimpse of what heaven is going to be like, and if you have just a little bit more desire to live with the hope of heaven, I'm, uh, I'm going to be thrilled. H.G. Uh, Wells, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a Christian author back in the early 1900s. He wrote a uh, short little story, actually a tale, uh, an analogy, uh, basically, uh, of, of a spiritual truth. It was called uh, The Country of the Blind. And in this little tale, uh, there are some uh, mountaineers who were on a quest to climb the highest uh, mountain in Ecuador, down in South America. And during the climb, uh, one of the climbers fell uh, literally thousands of feet down the side of the mountain into this uh, little valley below. Of course, he was never found. He was presumed dead, uh, but he survived. And he ended up in a little lost valley uh, known as the country of the blind. And uh, in, in this valley, the, the climber found this group of people. Um, they were uh, amazing. Uh, this is a beautiful valley. Uh, it was uh, very lush, very green. It was lots of uh, streams and waterfalls and trees. Absolutely gorgeous. But the people that lived in this valley were blind. They, they were all blind. And they'd been blind for generations. Apparently, a disease had a, uh, affected that little community. And uh, it had been passed on from generation to generation to the point where their blindness, literally, they didn't even have eyes anymore. Uh, they just had indentations uh, where eyes used to be. And as a result of their blindness, in this little hidden valley, uh, they knew nothing about the outside world. Uh, they, they, they knew nothing of sight. They had no sight. They couldn't even get the concept of what it would be like to see. Sight was totally foreign to them. So when this climber shows up and he starts talking about the beauty of this little valley, of course, they're, they're stunned. I mean, they're looking at him like, what are you, you talking about? And, of course, he's amazed that they can't see. So he's trying to explain to them what he sees, and they have no point of reference. They don't understand at all. It's been so long, even though he describes sight to them, they have no idea what he's talking about. And so they begin to mock him, and, and they begin to laugh at him because, of course, they can't see, and they don't want to be embarrassed by the fact that they're blind. So they start mocking and making fun of him, and... And yet some of them, something stirs inside 
the hope or the idea that maybe they could see. And so it sets up this plot in this little valley, the country of the blind, and it becomes kind of an allegory or a, or a metaphor of what it's like for us who live in this world, who know Jesus is real and Jesus is alive and that there really is a heaven and live with the hope of heaven in our lives. How many are living with the hope of heaven uh, in, in your life? How do you describe faith to someone who can't see and, and, and someone who has no concept of what it would be like to see? How do you describe heaven to someone who has no sight or ability to even understand what sight would be like? It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. How many of you were blind before you met Jesus? I'm going to raise both hands. <laughs> okay, I, man, I was clueless in Seattle. I mean, I really was. I was totally blind. In fact, um, you know, I dated this very pretty young woman in college, and she'd grown up in church, and <laughs> she believed the Bible, and uh, she had a real faith. And I, I was horrible. I made so much fun of her about her faith. I said, you believe those stories in the Bible like Jonah and the whale? Are you kidding me? Joshua and Jericho and Daniel and the lions did. And I <clears throat> picked out all these amazing stories that I'd heard in Sunday school. Had no idea what they were about, but I, I just, you know, just felt like I wanted to mock her and make fun of her. Uh, needless to say, we didn't go out long. <clears throat> <laughs> But then I met Jesus, and it was like, of course this is real. Can't you see? Of course the Bible's true. Don't you believe? Don't you understand that there's a real heaven? And it was so frustrating. I would, I, I literally, with some other people, we organized, we went door to door in Eugene. I would go down at night, and I would, I would, uh, I would, I would witness on the streets uh, in the in the mall back when they had malls uh, downtown in, in Eugene um, of course now that you're saved if you have the Holy Spirit living in you you know it talks about that in Ephesians chapter 1 it talks a down payment that we have a deposit or a down payment of the Holy Spirit which is literally kind of like a down payment of heaven and as a result you like me you've had glimpses of heaven the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you have those moments where you taste his joy and you taste his peace that passes all understanding. You, you feel his love, his compassion. You have this hope. And I, I don't know about you, but there are times where I've had faith, absolute faith, where I know that I know. And it's a supernatural faith that nothing is impossible with God. But there are days. If you're like me, you can have some amazing days, but then you can have some really amazing days. And, and, it, and it's like uh, what uh, Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 5. We walk by faith, not by sight. And there are times when that old nature, when our blindness, I mean, we're blind for so many days, and so many years, and so many months. 
there are times where our blindness, we just, we just can't see, where it just doesn't make sense, and we're saying, God, where are you? Well, Jesus was the only man who saw heaven clearly while he was on earth, and it really affected his life. And if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to John chapter 3, verse 13, uh, th this is a, a really amazing verse. It's, it says a lot. Let me say that again. Jesus was the only man who saw heaven clearly while he was on earth. In John chapter 3, verse 13, he's talking to Nicodemus, remember? He was trying to explain to this religious leader, unless a man is born again, he, he can't see the kingdom of heaven. And Of course, Nicodemus is having a really hard time with that. He's a, a religious leader. He's kept the law all of his life. The idea of being born again is really strange. He gets a little frustrated with Jesus. How can a man be born again? D does he need to climb up again into his mother's womb? I mean, that's ridiculous. But he was apparently pretty frustrated with Jesus, pointing out the fact that he needed to be born again. And Jesus goes on to talk to him about uh, who he is and where he's from and why he knows he needs to be born again. In John 3, verse 13, he says, uh, Jesus said these words, No man can ascend to heaven except he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Interesting verse, isn't it? Certainly a declaration that Jesus is God, Emmanuel, God with us. He came down from heaven heaven. No man can ascend to heaven except he who came down from heaven. Of course, he's referring to himself as the Son of Man. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, of course, lived in heaven before he came to earth. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But he's also talking about his clear vision of heaven while he's living here on earth. Didn't Jesus have a clear vision of heaven while he was here on earth? I mean, they're out in this boat. You know, a storm comes up. He's asleep in the bow of the boat. The disciples run over, wake him up. Lord, don't you care that we're going to perish? And he just turns and says, peace, be still. And, and, and the storm stops and the waves, everything gets calm. How did he do that? Well, he certainly understood who he was. And he had a clear picture of heaven and the authority of heaven over earth. I don't know what that storm was all about. I think it was a demonic attack against the Son of Man to take him before his time in a way that God hadn't attended. I think it was a spiritual battle. He saw it. He understood it because he saw heaven clearly. He saw heaven clearly when he walked on water. He saw heaven clearly when he fed 5,000 uh, with, with a few fish. And a couple of loaves of bread, obviously, had a clear vision of heaven uh, while he was living here on earth. Let me read it again. No man has ascended into heaven except he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. Now, it's hard to understand this verse completely. But the, there's a verse in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, that relates to you, seated in the heavenly places right now it says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 since then you've been raised up with Christ keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God 
For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, and Christ who is your life. When he's revealed, you will be revealed with him in glory. Now, if you take a morning to meditate on that verse, it's pretty amazing. The idea that when you believed in Christ, turned from sin and gave your life to Christ, something of who you were died. The person you used to be, I hate to say it this way, but he or she no longer exists. You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Okay. You have a whole new identity. I know this is hard to grasp because we're so dominated by the old nature and, and so dominated by the blindness of this world and the blindness. The Bible calls it sin that's passed on from generation to generation. But that verse says, since you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, we're seated there with Jesus in the heavenly realms. Jesus talked about who is in heaven now himself. In other words, having that clear picture. Is it possible that some, we live in two dimensions at one time? I know we can become overwhelmed with the things that are going on in our life. We can become overwhelmed with the things that are going on in the world around us. We can be overwhelmed with COVID virus or an election or circumstances, things sometimes that are happening with our kids and we just don't know what to do. And, and, and at the same time, we're seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. We're, we're in two dimensions at one time. See, there's something about knowing who you are and knowing where you're going Understanding that you're a person who lives in two dimensions. You're amphibious, so to speak. You, you can breathe air and you can live in the water. You're on earth, but you're living in heaven. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You're looking at me with glassy eyes, and I apologize for that. But Jesus' clear view of heaven was really important. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It, 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 it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, Jesus was able to endure temptation and suffering because he had a clear vision of heaven. He knew who he was. He knew where he was going for the joy set before him. In fact, uh, in John chapter 13, if you want to go there, verse 3 and 4, it says, Jesus, knowing who he was, and knowing where he was going, got up from the meal, took off uh, his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, this is a pretty familiar story. This is the, the evening before Jesus was crucified, and he washed the disciples' feet. And, uh, of course, in this section, he, he says, in order to show the disciples the full extent of his love, that Jesus, <laughs> their master, would wash their feet. And, of course, he fully washed their feet on the cross when he died for the, to take the penalty for their sins and washed them. And then he said in the same way, if I, your master, wash your feet, you should wash one another's feet. And that's so critical for living out Christian life and Christian faith. As a husband or as a wife, you've got to understand 
that our life is all about washing one another's feet. Could someone say amen to that? How do you do that? Well, first of all, you got to know who you are. And, and you got to know where you're going. You're not who you used to be. So you don't need, don't need to hold on to the things that used to be important to you. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You need to let go of the things of this world, the things that are part of the blindness of this world, and you need to grab onto the things that Jesus Christ cares about and love the way Jesus Christ loves because the things of this world aren't who you are anymore. You belong to Christ. I hope someone would say amen to that. That's how marriage works. That's really how it works. We have to have a whole new identity in Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You can't hold on to who you used to be. You can't cling to the blindness of this world. You got to move on into who God has called you to be in Christ Jesus. Jesus, knowing who he was and knowing where he was going. I'll tell you, living with the hope of heaven affects everything we do. During this crisis that we've been going through, I... You know, I, uh, I care a lot, of course, about what's going on. I prayed a lot for uh, things in regard to the election season. I, uh, I uh, have prayed for my kids. My son is in, in, uh, in, in London, and, of course, they've had just some pretty serious outbreaks there. And, uh, my daughter's up in Eugene, and they have, uh, much, uh, they have more COVID up there than, uh, per capita than they do here. So I care about them all. But when I look at their pictures and I pray for them, I look at my grandkids and I pray for them. I, I, I've got pictures of them on my computer, you know, they come up when I turn on my computer. I love that. I just love to see them. You know. But when I pray for them, what I care about more than anything is heaven because I'm living with the hope of heaven in my life. And frankly, there are times in this life where we miscommunicate, when we don't understand each other. Have you ever noticed as, as, as adults, sometimes your kids don't understand you? And you don't understand them. I've got good news. Heaven. Heaven. Hallelujah. Heaven is our hope. Heaven is when we'll understand. Heaven is when Republicans will understand Democrats in heaven. Heaven is when Democrats will understand Republicans. Hallelujah. Now, some of you don't know if many will be there. What shows you how blind you are. We're all affected by blindness, deeply affected by blindness. Jesus is the only one who saw heaven clearly. And it affected his life. It affected his ministry. It affected his love. It affected his power. It affected his mission in the world. And it's so important for us to live with the hope of heaven, knowing who we are and knowing where we're going. So I wanted to take a couple minutes and just talk about the reality of heaven because I, I don't think we talk about it enough. I don't think we focus on it enough. So here we go. Strap your seatbelt. 
Number one, I want you to know heaven is a real place. A real place. T take a minute. I, you know, put up with me. Touch your chair. Or touch the person next to you if you know them and they'd let you. Okay? This is a physical place. It's a tangible place. It's a real place. We can relate to this, can't we? Yeah. So is heaven. Heaven is a real place. It's not mystical. It's not ethereal. It's not a state of mind. It's not nirvana. Okay? It's a real place. Jesus said in John 14, verse 1 through 3, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled, overwhelmed with anxiety or fear. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That was really important for the Jewish people. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has lots of space, many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now the word place there in verse 2, that word place, very important Greek word. It's a spatial term. It refers literally to a location with dimensions and features. It's a physical place. Of course, it's not limited to, to, to three dimensions or four dimensions like we, are, we have here on earth. It's it could be infinitely dimensions because it's, it's God's throne. It's his presence. But it's a real, tangible, physical place with location, with dimensions and, and features. It's, when Jesus said, I will come back and take you to be with me, it talks about movement from one physical place, literally, to another physical, tangible place and, and that's so important if you believe what Jesus said there you understand that 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 heaven is, is a real place and of course revelations 21 and 22 talks about it. it describes mountains it describes rivers trees and houses and cities buildings and streets heaven is a real place Hebrews chapter 11 verse 16 it talks about Moses it says that, 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 that he didn't value the pleasures, it uses the word sin, but basically it's the pleasures of Egypt, the wealth, the lust, all the things that were part of Egypt. He didn't value the pleasures of Egypt. Instead, he journeyed toward a country whose builder and architect was God. Heaven. You think the earth is cool? You watch National Geographic. You, you, you've got a telescope. You look up into the heavens. You see the universe and the galaxies. You think this is cool? Wait till you get to heaven. This is just a startup. And by the way, it's broken. It says in, in, in Romans chapter 8, all creation groans awaiting the redemption of the sons of God. When Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins, rose from the dead to send the Holy Spirit, ascended into heaven to prepare a place for you, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. When he did all that, I want to tell you, this next life is going to be so far beyond anything you could ever accomplish in this life. Heaven is going to be awesome.
Now, now, the reason why I say this is we have some pretty weird, creepy ideas of heaven. You know, we've seen these commercials of, you know, soap with babies in diapers and little wings like angels. And we think that's heaven. I mean, if you've, if you've ever... If you've ever watched the movie The Christmas Carol with Ebenezer Scrooge, has anyone ever watched that thing? I, I, forgive my wife for this, but this is one of her favorite movies, you know. So I see it about six or seven times during the Christmas season. Different years they made it, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s. Anyway, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge, he is this greedy, mean guy, goes to sleep Christmas Eve, and he has these visitations, you know, ghost of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. But he also has a visitation of his, uh, his business partner, Jacob Marley. Has anyone seen that, you know? And he looks like this ghost. He's got these chains around his neck, and it's kind of weird, and it's supposed to be kind of spooky, but it's 1930s, you know. They don't have special effects or anything back then. That is nothing. <laughs> Nothing like what the Bible teaches about. I mean, it's nothing. Heaven is going to be a real place, and our resurrected bodies are going to be real, physical bodies. That's super important. In Luke chapter 24, verse 39. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. That was after the resurrection. Okay, Jesus was not a ghost. He had a tangible, physical body after the resurrection. Now, it wasn't limited to the dimensions that you and I have. I mean, Jesus appeared, and then he disappeared. He, he entered a locked room, <laughs> Not by the door, but through the wall. Okay, so obviously his physical body wasn't limited to the dimensions that our bodies, but it was still real and tangible. You could touch him, you could feel him. In fact, John 20, verse 26 through 27, here's what Jesus said when he entered the room uh, via the locked door uh, or through the wall, however he got there. He said, peace be with you. Uh, then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. So he had uh, Thomas put his finger in the hole where they put the nails and then his fist in his side where they pierced him with a, with a sword. Jesus had a physical body and so will you. Hallelujah. It won't be as old. <laughs> Uh, as the one you're in right now. If you're an older person, you're getting up in the morning, it's a little bit achy and creaky, and it's not going to be old. I don't know what age we'll be in heaven, but I know we will have a literal resurrected body. Could anyone say hallelujah for that? Now, it's hard for us to imagine because we've been blind for so long. It, it really is hard for us to perceive the reality of heaven. Heaven is a real place, and by the way, you will be you in heaven. Now, that sounds strange, but it's super important. You need to understand your identity. You're going to be you, who you are. When you look in the mirror and you look yourself in the eye, you're going to be you in heaven. This is really, really important. When Jesus talked about heaven 
and he talked about people in heaven, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who lived, you know, 2,000 years before Jesus did. He talked about their identity, and he talked about the things they did in this life. Okay, when, when, when Jesus was transfigured before uh, Peter, James, and John, and Elijah and Moses appeared there, they're 1,000 years old, and they're alive. They're 1,000 years old, they're alive. They have tangible, physical bodies. Peter, James, and John can see them. And they're there standing, having a conversation with Jesus. My point, heaven is eternal, and it's a continuation of this life. You're, you're going to be you in heaven. You really are. You're going to be you. I talk to so many people that think they're going to get right with God right before they you know, die. They put off spiritual growth. They, they put off learning to pray. They put off learning to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. What are you going to do in heaven? Heaven is all about Jesus, about loving him and worshiping him. And yet people think in this life, I'm just going to put it off. I'm not going to take discipleship seriously or spiritual growth seriously. And yet, heaven is a continuation of this life. You're going to be the person you are now there. You really are. And, and that, that affects me. I don't know about you. That affects my values. That, that affects how I think. That affects when I'm tempted. Am I going to do that or not? Who am I going to be in heaven? Who am I becoming now that I want to take with me there? Because you're going to be you in heaven. And, and I, I just think that's really important. You know, some people say they don't need the church. Well, man, heaven's going to really be bad for them. Because heaven's going to be church. I mean, the fellowship that we enjoy, the Bible study, the hunger for God, that's not going to stop. It's not going to stop in this life. It's going to go on for eternity. We're going to continue to learn. Do you think you could know God in a moment? Absolutely not. He's infinite. He's infinite. He, he is in, infinitely wise, infinitely powerful. And you're going to discover the wonder of God for, for all eternity. It's, it's uh, just something for us to think about. You're going to be you in heaven, and you're going to give an account of your life to God. Now, I, I don't say that to be negative. I'm, I, I don't want that to, to sound wrong. You're not going to have to give an account of your sins because Jesus gave an account of your sins. And he paid the penalty for your sins on the cross. If that doesn't make you skip and dance, you are dead. Okay? If, if that doesn't make you want to worship fully, arms extended, with your body doing cartwheels, even though you might kill yourself, you're dead. See, you don't have to get, if you've come to Christ, if you've turned from your sin, come to Christ, you don't have to give an account for your sin because Jesus already accounted for it. He paid the penalty for your sin 
on the cross. The Bible says your, your sins were moved as far as the east is from the west. In fact, it says he forgot. He has forgotten. It says in Colossians, he canceled the certificate of debt. Just take a receipt, tear it up. You don't owe it anymore. He canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against you. Hallelujah. Maybe you're not as wicked as I am, but I'm excited about that. I really am. So I don't mean give an account in a negative way, but you'll give an account of what you did with your faith, of your time in prayer, the people you loved, the time you gave, the sacrifices you made. Not, I don't mean this in a negative way, but all for the glory of God. You're going to be rewarded in heaven. God is going to rejoice when you get there. Jesus is going to say, son, daughter, he's going to embrace you. It's going to be awesome. And I really, none of us are perfect. I'm as imperfect as any person in the room here. But I'm on a journey for a country whose builder and architect is God. And that's what I'm living for now. So I live with the hope of heaven in my life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's referring to all those that have gone before us, list of heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, great chapter of the Bible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Been there, done that, and bought the shirt, okay? All those things. I've done all those things. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Some translations, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. So important for us to fix our eyes on heaven, to live with the hope of heaven, and fix our eyes on Jesus for the journey. We all have a race to run, and by the way, you all have your own lane. You all have different challenges that you're facing with your life, different issues that you're trying to work through in your life and with your faith. But I want to encourage you, as you run the way race, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Number three, not only is heaven real, and not only are you going to be you in heaven, uh, number three, you're going to get a new name in heaven. The Bible talks about a new name. Several places, Isaiah 62, Isaiah 65 talks about it again. Revelations chapter 2 and Revelations chapter 3 talks about a, a new name for those who overcome. It's a challenge to run the race. It, it's a challenge. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. But it talks about a new name. Can I tell you what that new name is going to be all about? It's going to be about God's eternal purpose for your life. Remember when Jesus met Simon, who he named Peter? When Andrew introduced his brother Simon to Jesus, first thing Jesus said, you're Peter. In other words, he saw something that Simon really couldn't see about himself. 
And God sees things about you that you don't understand. See, the Bible says when God saw you in your mother's womb, Psalms 139, he fashioned you. And he fashioned you for a purpose because he has an eternal destiny for you. And in heaven, you're going to get a new name and a new destiny. Do you know the promises of God are eternal? So we quote this little promise. Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a great one. We all love it. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Give you a future and a hope. How many love that promise? Yeah, it's awesome. But it's not just for this life. It's for eternity. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. To give you a future and a hope for all eternity. If we were honest, there's a lot of disappointment in this life. There's a lot of heartbreak. We have dreams that are never fulfilled. There's disabilities. There's diseases. There's poverty. Horrible poverty. You know, I, I, was, I was driving here. And I was down in the Mills uh, School area. You know, there's a lot of dysfunction, a lot of poverty down there. Jesus, you love those kids down there as much as me, certainly. They have a destiny in heaven. They, they have the eternal promises of God. God has a plan and a purpose far beyond this life. We think, foolishly, we think in our blindness some of us think that you've succeeded, that you've arrived, that maybe some of your dreams have come true. And if so, hallelujah, we'll all wave the flag. But it's only just begun. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We, we have eternity. And the promises of God are going to be fulfilled for all eternity. I'm so thankful. If you, if you ever go to Children's Hospital in Portland, just sit in the lobby for a while. Watch the little kids who get, you know, rolled in in a wheelchair, heads bald, dealing with cancer. Just take a few minutes to think about the injustices for million young girls trapped in sex trafficking as slaves. 14 million. This, this world is horrible and it's blind and it's unfair. But there is hope. <laughs> it's the hope of heaven. You see, God is just, and God is fair, and God is holy, and everyone has hope in heaven. He's going to write the score, and eternal destinies of people that had no destiny in this life, not based on our standards or how we would judge them. People that didn't have any hope or destiny in this life, phew, they're going to get a new name. God has a new purpose.
He's going to fulfill his promise. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And that's why we live with the hope of heaven. That's why we sacrifice to share the gospel, to give of ourselves or our substance or whatever so that others can know about Jesus. So thankful. So thankful for the eternal hope of heaven. I, I, uh, several years ago, uh, I watched a, a video series by Randy Alcorn. Don't know how many are familiar with him. He's a great Bible teacher. D does a lot on the subject of heaven. And if you're f interested at all in learning more about heaven, he's got a 40-day devotional that you know, I like because it's short. <laughs> and uh, I could read a little devotional every day uh, about, about heaven. Um, did a video series, and in this series, he interviewed a, uh, a family and uh, the young daughter, very young, probably seven, eight years old, was dying of cancer. And so they were sitting as a family uh, on the couch. Father, poor little daughter, was very emasculated, and he was holding his daughter. And, uh, and they were talking about heaven. And the father said, you know, honey, you're going to be the first one in our family to get to heaven. Isn't that exciting? Aren't we foolish? We mourn. We grieve. We, we, we think if we don't get to live a full life on earth, we have lost something. That's how blind we are. We, we don't realize the beauty of heaven, the promise of heaven. That was a wise father. That was a spiritual leader helping his daughter deal with the fears and doubts around her death. He was interceding for her as he spoke the truth over her. Honey, do you know that you're going to be the first one in our family who gets to heaven? It's going to be awesome. But we're right behind you. We're, we're not far. And when we get there, you're going to get to greet us when we come. That gave her hope. It gave the family hope. It changed the perspective of what was happening. You know, it says in the book of Isaiah, why, why do some good people, why, why do they die young? And I know you don't like this, but it says because they are blessed. They don't have to go through the trauma and the disappointment and the heartbreak of this life. They are blessed. See, the problem in America, we live as though earth is heaven. And if we don't get all we can get on this earth, we're missing out on something. That's a lie. We're blind. We're blind to the truth. Jesus came to give us life and to give it abundantly. And the hope of Christianity is the resurrection from the dead. That's what the Apostle Paul preached. That's what the early church believed. They believed in the power of the resurrection. 
but we're a culture that believes earth is heaven and if you don't get everything you can get on this earth you'll miss out and that is so far from true last point number four <laughs> number one heaven is real number two you will be you in heaven own up get real with God it's time today's the day of salvation you will be you in heaven you're going to get a new name hallelujah you're going to get a new name you're going to have a whole new destiny number four the last thing you will be like Jesus in heaven first John 3 verse 1 through 3 says see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him dear friends now that we are children of God and what we will be has excuse me let me read it again I'm not doing very well dear friends now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known but we will <clears throat> but we know that when Christ appears uh, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure you know when we see Jesus hallelujah the old nature the sin nature uh, Paul talks about it in Romans 7 he, he, he talks about the law of sin that's in our members it's that thing we wrestle with just the insecurities the fears the doubts the anxiety the anger the lust even though some of us who have met Jesus have been born again, that's still there. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Rest are liars on that one, I'll tell you. It's so true. We, when we see Jesus, the old nature is going to be stripped away. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know if you have that hope. I have that hope. Every area where I'm fearful, every area that I'm insecure, every area that I have anxiety or doubt or lust or greed hallelujah it's going to be stripped away when I see Jesus when we see him we will be like him for we will see him as he is I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up I'm so thankful for that that's my hope that's my hope I love Jesus, but I live in a fallen world. And I feel like I drag around this dead body with me, you know, this old nature. I feel like I, I, I drag it around with me. Some mornings it's a little worse than others. I think a lot of you know what I'm talking about. But when I see Jesus, I'll be like him. So thankful for that. So my question here as we go, um, do you know Jesus? Yeah. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is a person. It's not a religion. It's not a faith. And when you turn from rebelling against God and resisting the Holy Spirit, you turn to Jesus. That's the only way you can stop rebelling against God. And, and that's the only way you can stop resisting the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is drawing all people to Jesus. See, he, he wants you to know Jesus. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Come to Jesus, the person. Say, Jesus, I believe you're real. Jesus, I believe you love me. I don't know why. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. I just want to come to you today and give my life to you today. And if that's your, your prayer today, he sees your heart. I can't add to that. You know, I, 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 can't, I can't add to that. He sees your heart. But it's important that you pray the prayer. It's important that you talk to him, that you set in motion coming to him in your life and then commit your life to follow him, to get to know him, and grow in your relationship with him. So Jesus, every, every person that hears my prayer this morning, would you draw them to yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you forgive their sins and wash them white as snow? Lord, we want to thank you for that here today. Thank you for your wonderful presence, your wonderful love, and the power of the Holy Spirit that changes everything for all eternity. Lord, we thank you for that. Give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Let's say amen together.